0: Good morning, good morning. We, uh, we this is a special day. It's a special day for lots of reasons. Hey, there's Mr. Donut Man. <laughs> All right, special day because we have we have some really guest, amazing guest performers today. We have Rachel from uh, MMC who does the church in the afternoon, thank you for doing that for us today. I'm excited. We're, we're doing it MMC style today, which is different than Joe, but. Wonderful. And then we have Terry and Jan who I coaxed to get up here, both of which had no idea they were T- gonna be singing. TJ,
1: last
0: TJ, TJ. But Terry, yeah, you know, it's She's you know so
1: excited for everything. Anything. yeah <laughs> you know, it's all good. And
0: I'm trying I have to keep reminding him, put the mic up to your mouth. Yep. There you go. All right. So thank you, you three. Thank you. Yeah. You're you're amazing and I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to worshiping with you today. All right. We do have a couple of announcements. Joe, oh, Joe it's, his, it's his anniversary. Oh, That's why he's gone. Anniversary happy, to
1: anniversary to you, happy anniversary to Joe.
0: Happy anniversary to Joe and Vanessa. And Vanessa.
1: <laughs> and Vanessa. Oh, my
0: gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. We did. We had a, It was an enjoyable time hanging out with family and friends. And I think we do have a couple of announcements. What do we got there, Derek? Um, open door giving tree. We still have some some available. Um, it's just over outside the door here by the welcome sign. If you would like, uh, if you're online and you would like to have uh, uh, be a part of that, let us know, and we can get you hooked up with some of those. Um, Shop talk. We had one yesterday that was fantastic, with uh, Dr. Ken Garrett ta- talking about um, about how to look at spiritual abuse in churches. And that's a much bigger problem than we would think. One of the big takeaways I got from it was just that we, when we think of a cult, we think, well, they have to have some weird thing they believe. But that's not really the definition of a cult. It's 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 a circumstance where the leader is abusing, their and controlling and manipulating their people. Because he was a part of a cult that Orthodox Christian beliefs, but it was very destructive to the lives of the people. And so that that was really fascinating um, last night. If you'd like to talk more about that, let me know, he has a great book out. All right, next. Pilgrim Group, coming up. I think that's tomorrow. Yippee. Yes, yippee, <laughs> yippee. Tomorrow at seven o'clock here at the church. Um, lots of fun, very relaxing, especially at a time of year where it's not a very relaxing time of year. Speaking of which, um, we're also doing gratitude groups. We did them about a year ago. And uh, we're gonna do them again for thank for, 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 for Christmas time. And I know this is the time of year where you're so busy, but this is the most important time to take the time to be to, to be grateful. Because as I talked about last Sunday, it'll help you with your stress and your anxiety, it'll make you happier, it'll give you more energy by just once a day taking the time to, to think of something that you're thankful for. And you just you join a group it can be either on text or email and um, and they just you just hear each other's ways of being thankful and one of the best parts that I got out of it last year was hearing what everybody else is grateful for it just lifted me up as well so if you if that's it all here inter- all interested about that talk to me or just sign up just outside the door there's a little podium for signing up is there any other announcements that's all the announcements all right let's take take a moment pray and then we're going to worship our lord and savior and uh let's pray lord jesus thank you so much for you for your grace we are so thankful for it thank you for rachel thank you for, for terry and jan and they're serving us by and, and helping us thank you for for the people which we so rarely thank in in the sound booth mark and, and, and Derek today Enabling us to, to worship you. Help us to move our move our hearts to, to, to praise you as you deserve. You are amazing. Every good thing comes from you, and we want to take the time to say thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: As Joe would say, stand as you are able. able. <laughs>
0: with us this morning. We give you the praise as we come into your word this day. Help us to hear your your voice. Help us to see you as high and lifted up as we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Didn't they do good? Yes. For very little practice and uh, first times for some of you, you did great. And Rachel, if you could af- afterwards come back when I'm doing communion and just play something. Great. All right. Uh, the Incomparable Jesus. We're starting a series walking through the prologue of the Gospel of John, um, which is the first couple of verses about to about verse 18 in the Gospel of John. It's, a, it's called the prologue of John because it's really just setting up the rest of the book. It's explaining kind of the major themes. This is John's Christmas story. Because when we finally get actually Jesus doing something, he's already started his ministry. This is John saying, this is what's happening at Christmas. And these first couple of verses, really the entire chapter, this whole prologue is all about how Jesus is not like anybody else. He's incomparable. You really can't compare Jesus with anybody else. In fact, what, he, what he's saying is who Jesus is and what he accomplished in his ministry is of such extreme significance. The magnitude of difference between Jesus and everybody else is so big that you really can't even make a comparison. This is what I mean by the incomparable of Jesus. Jesus. Now, let me read through these first verses here. And then we'll walk through each of them. Gospel of John, verse 1, starts like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Excuse me, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not one thing has been made that has been made. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness can never extinguish it. Back to verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's Genesis 1, isn't it? Because, but do you not see the parallel here? Between the two? In the beginning was the Word. And then Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. You're meant to see a, a, a parallel between Genesis 1 and Genesis and, and, and John 1. You're supposed to see the two together. That, that's intentional, especially with when you have the same phrase, in the beginning. And as we read through these, these verses in, chapter, in verses 1, 2, 3 through 5, it's saying very similar things. In Genesis 1, it's in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that's what he's saying here. In, in here, in the beginning, God but he but he expands this this idea of, of in Genesis 1 where it just says God. He expands this to give us a deeper understanding of the Trinity is here. You have the word, which if we pop down all the way to verse 14, we know we're talking about Jesus. It's says John's word for Jesus. Here is the word. We're going to talk about what that means in a moment. But Jesus was in the very beginning of time. Before anything ever existed, Jesus was there. He predates time. He's eternal. But it's not just that. He's in a relationship with with God. And the word was with God. It's it's the sense of being, you know, I'm with my spouse. I'm with somebody. I'm going with somebody. There's a relationship. So he's not... It's not, Jesus is not all that God is, he's in a relationship with him, but he's equal with him, and the word was God. That is, God, he is fully divine, equal with the Father. And so what's going on here is you have this, this image of that Jesus is fully God, eternal, and in a relationship. In the beginning, God the Trinity created all things, says Genesis 1. And what do we see here in verse, verse 3? He's creating everything. So there's a parallel here. And that's intentional. Because what he's setting up in this gospel, this entire gospel, and we're gonna see here in in, in Genesis in, in, in this, this prologue, is he setting up this idea that there's a new creation coming that he's setting up that the God who created all things is who we're talking about and the God, and what Jesus is doing is on the same par of when God created all things creation and new creation is what's going to be this is, is, is the first image that's happening here now There's something that's that, that that's happening in this passage that's called a chiasm, and I want to explain what I mean by that, and then help you see what it, see it in the text. A, chi, a chiasm is a standard um, Hebrew way of arranging things, and. Line A, it's often in poetry, but you can see it also in, in writings and in story. and it's all over the Bible. And what it is is line, if you have if for example, in this case one, two, three, four, five lines, the first and the last line are meant to be read together. They either say the same thing or they at least interpret each other. And the same thing with B and B and then in, and then C is the center. And the point is, is it's it's just like an arrow. Everything is supposed to, is pointing to the center. These, all these other ones, help explain what's going on. But the emphasis of the entire chapter or the, of this chiasm is in the very center, and that's what's happening here. And you, like, again, you can see this all over Scripture, and that's what's, that's what's happening in this prologue. In this case, verses one and two, parallel verse eighteen look at that how does verses one and two say something about or verse 18 says something about verse one and two 3 and four go with 16 and 17 5 and eight goes with 15 9 goes with 14 and then it puts in the very center 10 through 13 in the very center of the center is 11 and 12. we walk through just what we're looking at today, verses 1 and 2, we see that the word word is God. He's eternal, right? I just talked about that. And and in verse 18, in fact, I'm going to grab my Bible so I don't have to jump around as much on my little touch screen. I originally intended to have this up here. Verse 18, well, here, I do have it here. No one has ever seen God. This is verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is dear to the Father's heart and is revealed God to us. So, if you're reading the verse 1 and 2 with this together, what you see is, this. in fact, you can even hear some of the similar language. You know, verses 1 and 2, it's like, the word was God, and He is with God, and He's He, but He is, and He's fully God. And then in verse eighteen, we say, "No one's ever seen this God," He, but the the unique one that there's no one like Him, who is Himself God. And is in a relationship with God in, in His Father's near the Father's heart. He's done something. He's revealed Him. And what if you put the two together? This is what it's saying is one of the things that Jesus does as the Word is He explains the Father. That's what the Word is getting at. The Greek word has to do with with mind or reason or expression. It's sort of like message. But what is His message? It's the self-disclosure of what God is like. Nobody knows who God is. I mean, He's the invisible God. He's the one who is above all of us. How could you possibly know the creator? Well, the creator himself explains him to you. This is why Jesus' revelation is different than everybody else's. Because Jesus is is not talking about something he does not know he's explaining himself he's explaining god himself he's in a unique position incomparable from all other human beings all other people who ever lived to actually tell us what god is like you know the famous metaphor of you know that, that all the religions are like different uh, uh, people trying to grasp onto an elephant, telling you know one has, grabs the, the 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 leg and says God is like a tree. Another one grabs onto the trunk and says He's like a He's like a snake. But that's not what's happening here. Here we have the the elephant itself saying No, this is what I'm like. He's expressing himself. He's in a unique position as God Himself who is in relation with the Father, to explain what God is like. No one has ever seen God. Oh, but God sent Jesus, the very expression of his will, and told us what God is like. It's a self, which means that when we're talking about what is God like, Jesus has absolute authority on this discussion because he's not talking about somebody else. It's like I think I know who I am. I'm just telling you who I, who my father is, who I've been in relationship before even anything ever existed. I know what I'm talking about, and he puts this all of this whole chapter in the sense of salvation and what God is doing as i was thinking about this this making god known one of the places my went i went to was john 17 where it says this jesus says and this is the way to have eternal life to know you this is this is what eternal life means is to know you the only true god in jesus christ whom you have sent The the, the, the getting to know who God is, the the revelation of who God is, is bound up into being saved. If you know God, you are saved. You you have eternal life. This is what Jesus is accomplishing. So, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, who is himself God is in a unique position to express who God is. He's a part of the Trinity. He's eternal. He's equal, fully with God, and He has made known to us what God is like. And when you know what God is like, that's, that's equivalent to having salvation. This is the first way in which Jesus is not comparable to anybody else. Second, going back to, to John John 3, one, chapter 3 says all things were made through the word Jesus. Through him and without him not anything was made that has been made. Jesus is alone is the creator. And the, the Greek text is exquisitely text pointed here that there's not one possible thing that exists that he has not made. He is the creator of all things. The owner, therefore, of all things. And it continues on. And the word gives gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Jesus is the creator and the giver of life itself. And, he, and it's likened to, to having light. This is who Jesus is. He's the creator. He's the giver of life. And light. We're not talking about just a mere human being. This person that we're going to be reading back for 19 chapters. As he goes along and he gets tired and he eats and he drinks. And people, like some reject him, some accept him. We're not just talking about a regular person here. We're talking about the creator itself. The one who Paul says, for through him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities. Yeah, My, the thing just changed on me. Like, huh, for the Lord is... Okay, and everything was created... Let me go back here. Such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And everything that was created was created through him and for Jesus. So Jesus is coming into the world for for people that he himself created. And they were designed for him. As he puts it, this is the one that he's, who's coming. This is the one as Isaiah puts it. For the Lord is God. Jesus is God. And he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place he made the world to be lived in not to be an empty chaos he jesus says i am the lord and there is no other this is who we're talking about this is who we're celebrating at christmas how can you compare jesus to anybody else no one else can say i'm the creator I own the place. In the biblical sense, if you have made something, it is yours. You have absolute authority over it. Some of you are artists here. And you know that if you make a painting or, or a sculptor, this is yours. You have all authority over it. You can do what you want with it. No one has a right to do anything to it without you. This is yours. This is who Jesus is. There is only one Creator. There are lots of spiritual beings, but there is one Creator, and this is who's coming into the world, and this this world is described as light, as we say in Psalm Psalm thirty seven. For you, O God, are the fountain of light, the light of life, the light by which we see. L- the, the light in the Old Testament, and in the New, but it's really obvious in the Old Testament, is, is often an image for the pre- being in the presence of God. For example, this, this famous um, blessing, and sometimes I say it to you, the Lord be gracious to you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you his face his presence being able to see god face to face is like being in the light another image that we can see is in the exodus story where they're guided by a pillar of fire that is light at night it's it's a it was a graphic way of expressing that god is with his people And so when Jesus is the one that gives life, he's also the one that gives his presence. Why does this keep changing? That's weird. Don't change. No. Don't change. Got a gremlin in here. Right? So when it talks about, in verse 3... Where Jesus is the one who's created all things, and he, from Him is given light and life. It's this idea of Jesus is the one that not just made it exist, but it's giving life to something. It's giving vitality. It's giving blessing to Him. It's giving His presence to the world. Now, and that is consi- and, and that is connected, as you can see right here, with grace. Now take all of that, and now let's look at verses 16 and 17, which is parallel. 16 and 17, which is parallel to verses 3 and 4. Verse 16. Remember, 3 and 4 were parallel to 16 and 17 in the prologue. This is what 16 and 17. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth. Came through Jesus Christ. So, 1617 is all about giving grace. And not just a little bit, just there, there's this superabundance of it. And it's contrasted with what we got through Moses. So, here in 1617 is about grace and about giving something that Moses couldn't. And then verses 3 and 4 is about life and light. And these two images, when you bring them together, is a way of talking about the gospel. That the law, the do's and don'ts of Moses, cannot bring life. They don't bring life. They don't really bring you the presence of God. Oh, but Jesus does. Paul, uh, John is comparing these two. He's comparing the work of Moses to the mo- work of Jesus. Moses, who, frankly, if you want to think about all the human beings of all of history, Moses has got to be right there at the top of uh, the number of people who've made more impact in the world. Moses is right there. Why? Because his impact affected all of the Judaic religion, all of the Old Testament, the effect of all of that on Western civilization is gigantic. The only people who are going to have sort of that level of impact on human history are people like Muhammad or maybe Buddha. But we're talking the most significant people of all of human history. Moses is one of them. And Jesus is not comparable to him. The difference is like something that gives life versus something that gives death. Why do I use the word death? Because that's what Paul does here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if the ministry of death carved on letters of stone, what does that remind you of? The Ten Commandments. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the ministry of Moses, and he's using this image of of carving on letters of stone, there was a glory to it. For the, as it continues, the Israelites could not face, gaze at the face of Moses' face because its glory, which was being brought to an end. So the ministry of Moses, there was a glory to it. But it's a ministry of death, it doesn't bring life. But the ministry of the Spirit through Jesus gives even more glory. He continues on and he says it like this in in verses 4. The next couple of of verses later in chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. Do you see the connections? Moses is is death, but Jesus, and there is that image of new creation of Genesis 1 again of this shining out, of taking out of darkness and making light. So that you do what? You see, you know God. Oh, that's verse 18. And you have glory. You have light. You have life. And as it continues on in the next chapter, he ends with this. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, there's this new creation. All of this is what's being hinted at in, the, in this opening prologue. That what Jesus is doing is so much greater that the only comparisons, only ways that you can kind of talk about it in this kind of language is something that either kills you or gives you super abundant life. That kind of an extreme comparison is about the only thing Paul's, I mean John's got, life and death, darkness and light. And Jesus's work not only explains God, expresses who he is. He brings life to you on par with creation itself. He's recreating humanity. This is the work of Christ. Which you will see in chapter 3 with the phrase, born again? You have to be redone? Reborn? Reborn? recreated. If anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. The old have passed, the new things have come. To put it the way Paul would put it, the law modifies our behavior maybe, but Jesus transforms us. To finish this up in John chapter 5, the light Shines in the darkness, but the darkness can't stop it. Can't overcome it. The work of Jesus is to take out of darkness and make it produce light. Out of death and make it produce life. The creator is becoming flesh. The one who is eternal is stepping into time. To his own to do something that is on par with the making of the universe itself, the transforming of you and me. This is what we mean by the incomparable Jesus. This is the point that Paul is trying to get at. That when we go through and read the rest of the Gospels, you can't see Jesus just like another human being. He is a human being, fully human being, but his work and who he is is on a completely different level. And this is who we're, rem- this is who we're celebrating at Christmas. Now, to be sure, most likely Jesus was not born Je- December 25th. That's a whole other discussion. It was probably, I think, likely in, the septem- in September. But that's okay. We can remember it at this time of year. Yeah, it was probably originally a pagan holiday that the church kind of redressed up and and made it suit our needs. Sure, we can do that. God repurposes evil things all the time and makes them better. There's even scriptural evidence of that. That's fine. We're remembering, though. This is the time of year that we, as our culture and generally as the church, we remember, we celebrate the inbreaking of God into the universe into the world that he created. And this event is not like anything else. Nothing is like this. The work of Jesus is different. He is the God who explains God. He's the the eternal one stepping into time who's been in, in relationship with the Father for eternity. He explains what God is really like. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. How does he react to things? Look at Jesus. What does he feel about things? Look at Jesus. How does he act towards sinners? Look at Jesus. How does he act towards people who are who think they're better than other people? Look at, look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. He is the exact image of God of who God is like he's explaining him and it's absolutely authoritative. He's the one that brings life out of death. Life out of nothingness. He did that in the Genesis chapter 1 and through the death and resurrection of of, of Jesus he's doing it now. He's the one who brings life out of death. He brings light out of darkness the incomparable Jesus and how should we respond to him I don't think there's anything other than this to receive and worship him what's the center of this chiasm to those who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God that's the center of this whole thing it's the point that Paul John, John is trying to make this whole prologue. There's nobody like Jesus. Don't reject him. Receive him. Welcome him. Worship him. Because he alone is worthy of that. And that's what we're remembering at Christmas. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this 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 text. Thank you that you are the God who is unlike any other God. You're the you're like it you're amazing and lord we you know even for some of us who who think very very highly of you we, we worship you we exalt you even us who we get so familiar with you we get so familiar with the story of Christmas and you the baby being born that Lord wake us up to the utter craziness of this, just how amazing it is, awe-inspiring it is, that you came. Help us to be grateful for that this, this Christmas season. We're going to take a moment and prepare our hearts for communion. One of the just basic points of this whole thing of of Christmas is that God wants, we're not singing that that one, we're not singing that one. One of the basic points of this, of Christmas itself is that God is not distant from you. In all of the pain and the difficulties, the stress, the anxiety, all of the mess that you've made maybe of your life, God is not stepped back and going, well, you made yourself a mess, you you, you deal with it. But He's right there with you. He crossed the eternal threshold to become a person for you. He wants to be connected to you. Very much. And so when we come to the table, that's part of what we're remembering. And we're remembering that His life and His death is the source of our transformation, that it will transform us and the entire world one day, that it will recreate it, making it new as it was originally intended. God wins. And the darkness will not, will not win. The darkness can't stop it. So come to the table, and uh, and when everybody has gathered, some 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 elements we'll share it. the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body given for you. A couple hours later, he went to the cross, and there the Lord has laid on him all the iniquity of us all. And he was crushed for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him all of our sin, all of our darkness, all of our and lust and anger and greed and pride or lack of compassion and kindness all of it he laid on him In the same way after supper he took the cup and he says this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins it is through this agreement with you that your sins are forgiven and his promise is to transform us to give us his life. A new life. A transformed life. To be like him. And one day he will transform you. And all of creation will be as it should be. Praise be to God for that. Right, The body and blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to see you as high and lifted up this Christmas season. We give you thanks. And now I pray that you would lift up the light of your countenance upon all of these people here, that you would be gracious to them and give them peace. In your name we pray. Thanks for coming today, guys. We'll see you next week.